0: organizations their infrastructure has to have an inclusive culture that's part
1: of their infrastructure and if they don't have it they lose you're listening to good is in the details i'm Gwendolyn dolsky
2: and i'm rudy salo
1: and this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of socrates all with the aim of a better life a healthier life a self-improved life
2: was a good one. That was that was that was a good one. I know this is the first one of these they were recording in 2023 and that oh, was strong. Yeah. So, hats off to you.
1: 2023.
2: All right. Now For recording the intro, this show we recorded last month or month and a half, and apologies to the listeners. This was one of our technical hiccups. You know, Gwen will thinks it's (laughs) funny and perfect that it was a technical hiccup. So if the audio is a little bit off, we apologize in advance.
1: Yeah, the issue was we just had problems logging on, but it's pretty perfect because our guest is talking about inclusion and diversity in the workplace. And one of the issues that comes up in this episode are generational issues and how we understand each other. And one of the things with Gen Xers is that maybe they're not the best at technology and they have something to learn from Gen Z. So case in point, took us a while to get on, but you know what? We did it.
2: We did it and we're getting better. We promise from here on out, things are (laughs) going to be awesome technologically wise. And And our guest is the author, of the book, Evidence Based Inclusion. It's time to focus on the right needle. Her name is Dr. Loran Starr. And I learned a couple of things on this episode. Mm -hmm. I obviously, you know, I consider myself a diverse individual as an Arab American. I'm the, uh, I guess I'm the president elect of the Arab American Lawyers of Southern California. I take the helm in this April. So I'm very focused on diversity in the workplace, diversity training, diversity sensitivity. But what I really liked about this show was, hey, it shouldn't be about diversity. It should be about inclusion and the importance of inclusion, and the expansive view of, of inclusion. And I learned quite a few things on this show that I think our listeners will enjoy. What are your thoughts?
1: This is great for anyone who runs a business, or for my university students listening to this, what are they looking for in a work environment? And yes, I something that I learned and that I thought was really interesting is that It seems as though diversity is actually the expression of the foundation of inclusivity. So we talk about the distinction between an inclusive environment and a diverse environment. And a diverse environment doesn't really mesh unless you have an inclusive environment. So we get a lot of how-to steps and how to make that possible in the workplace. And the results are a better work environment, a better community, and it's also great on the wallet. And we even mention your favorite topic, transportation.
2: We do. We do. We talk about transportation. Uh, We talk a lot about workplace culture. Mm -hmm. That's what I liked about it. Whether you're interested in diversity or inclusion or, or not, everybody cares about their workplace culture. That's what I really enjoyed about. That's why I think this is a topic for everybody to learn about. How can we make a, a culture where we work to be more inclusive and to be better, not just for people to feel like they belong, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we, we do live in a capitalist society. How is that better for the bottom line of the underlying organization and how they can make more money and how they can do better? So it's, it is a good economic approach to it, I think.
1: For sure. All right. Let's talk Inclusion in the Workplace with Dr. Lorianne Starr. All right. Well, Dr. Lorianne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to be discussing your book that is on. No, wait, I want to make sure I get the words right. Diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. That's the way that the words go. But according to your book, we're going to focus on inclusion as opposed to diversity. Could we start out with some basic definitions that we're working with before we move forward. So what does it mean to be inclusive and what does diversity mean and how are they different and why do they get confused as though they're one, they're, you can swap them out?
0: Yeah, it's really a challenge um, in the industry that DE&I has become one thing and it's really not. They are three very different um, strategies with different goals and metrics and outcomes and initiatives. So diversity, are affinities that make us unique. That's it, it's not rocket science. Diversity are the affinities that make us unique. Inclusion, on the other hand, is feeling connected to each other, being valued for your differences, having a seat at the table, a shared voice, um, being able to impact the organization that you're working for or the classroom you're in or whatever environment, your social group. Um, Inclusion is where we see everyone's differences. We appreciate those differences and then we build upon the individual strengths. So I like to think of diversity and inclusion this way. If you take a bag of Skittles and you dump the Skittles out and you break up the Skittles into color groups, You'll have a color group of yellow, a color group of red, green, orange, purple. Um, So you'll have different color groups. Well, that's diversity. When you've broken them into color groups, Mm -hmm. that's diversity. And the goal of diversity is each group has a very diverse perspective, or in the case of Skittles, a a unique taste. Inclusion is when when you throw them back in the bag, you shake the bag up, you grab three Skittles and you throw them in your mouth it might be an orange, a yellow, and a green. Inclusion is when you can sit back and enjoy that flavor because that'll be different than if you had a purple, a red, and a yellow. So workplace inclusion is when when we
1: appreciate those differences. I really like this idea because something that you touch on in your book that I think I've actually noticed when it comes to trying to prioritize diversity is that somebody thinks that they've solved a problem where they're treating another person, almost like a quota. Like, oh, we want to appear diverse. Here's somebody of this particular background solved, problem solved. We've got Mm -hmm. it. And it's not really reflective. And it doesn't have this inclusion quality that you're talking about, that it's looking at the the issue. I, I don't know. I just, I just appreciated, that you're pointing out that uh, just diversity in and of itself does not actually make a company or business diverse. No, not at all. Well, diversity itself can
0: make a company diverse, but it doesn't provide any benefits. Okay. So here's the problem. Because for the past, really the past 20 years, we've been lumping D, E, and I together. When research is done, practitioners human resource professionals read this research and what they're hearing, because we have trained them to think of diversity first, is if I have diversity, these are the benefits. Increase productivity, increase um, innovation, decrease in conflict management, uh, better team building. But that's not true. The I is responsible for all of that, not the D. So in the book, I really shake out that Really, the benefit of diversity is diverse perspectives. That is it. Inclusion. When you have a workplace that's inclusive, then we see in pre you know increase in productivity, job satisfaction, innovation, decrease in conflict management, better skills. We see profit margins increase two to threefold when there's an inclusive help culture. The good life. Before, yeah, before <laughs> we can jump into diversity. Before we start bringing in all these diverse candidates, we have to have an organizational culture that will support them. Yeah. What organizations okay, th- oh, go ahead, Rudy. I th-
2: no, I think I get it now. I, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I'm the dumb one on the on the podcast, by the way. I've <laughs> out, I've out of time. I, but I, I think I think you I think now I, the there's not a light bulb because I'm not smart, but a candle finally started to burn above my head. Where mm-hmm. You just I think what you just said about an inclusive culture, that's making that's making some sense to me because okay, if you're only focusing on diversity, which you know you, you in your book you have this kind of you know this very interesting iceberg. Uh, you know, you call it the affinity mm-hmm. iceberg, where you break things down by. It, it, to me, it appears that outward appearance versus mm-hmm. all of this other stuff that's supposed to be reflective of an individual. And if you're only focusing on the things that are the iceberg or above, that's It appears that that's literally just a checkbox that some some companies will want to just check the box for. But if the underlying culture of that company prior to trying to make things diverse, if the underlying culture of that company isn't already set up for somebody's success, no matter what background that they have, it's going to fail. So at the end of the day, it really comes down to what's the culture of leadership on down, the base foundation of a company, that's what's so necessary in order for any of this to succeed. Do I have that right? The candle burning? Yes.
0: Yes. You absolutely have it. If you're just hiring for diversity, and I really don't know when we went so off track, like I think back to the workplace in the 1990s, There was a focus on, in the early 1990s, there was a focus on culture, but then we really started hearing much more around diversity and diversity attraction and diversity retention in our candidacy pool, which equated to in the 90s, hiring more women. In the early two thousand, it was hiring people of color. Um, Now we talk about the BIPOC uh, population, which pretty much encompasses um, sexual orientation, gender identity, and people of color ethnicity and right and and then there's the gender i think somewhere along the lines we lost our way and we started focusing and i say we like the collective organizations businesses we started focusing in on how do we make our company more diverse and that's our culture and that is not a culture parameter so we threw away the inclusive part or we didn't actually even apply the inclusion part um, think about it. I think back to 1990, I was promoted to um, a VP position at the age of 28. And I was the token woman. It was the first time they promoted a woman into a VP position. And tokenism took place. Was the organization inclusive? Not really. So it took it took a good year for me to even start making inroads where I would go to meetings and I'd get the eye roll or right there was a loss of value or credibility because there was this perceived notion that I was promoted only because I was a woman. That inclusion wasn't part of the factor. So what? Right now, here we are, twenty twenty. Companies are still doing that. They haven't gotten out of their own way. A lot of organizations, and I say a lot, we're talking like seventy eight percent of organizations that say that they have an inclusive culture and strong DE and I actually have no strategic framework in place.
2: Okay. What's okay? That's great. So what is a strategic frame? What How do you build an inclusive culture? What is that? What is that foundation? Uh, If, let's say, a company doesn't have that right now, for, for whatever reason, let's just say for historical reasons, let's just say bad luck, let's just say for a lot of things, but they know they need to turn the corner, what do they do? I mean, do they, if I'm reading the book correctly, and I'm hearing what you've said here on another podcast, you don't just go out. And hire the check the box people. Mm-hmm. No, what you've got to start with is with rebuilding of the culture and the foundation. So, how do you do that?
0: Yeah. And honestly, those are chapters like four, five, six, and seven of my book, <laughs> where I strategically lay it out. Now, My vantage point, right, being that this is what I do, I am very evidence-based. And when I say evidence-based, I really focus on the research and the research holistically, wrapping my arms around both sides. And then I created this framework and then tested it out on a lot of organizations to see if it actually came to fruition, did this work? When we're building that inclusive culture, we have to start with awareness first and foremost. What is inclusion? What is diversity? Why is it important? What is, right? This is all part of awareness. What are implicit biases and how do we maneuver around them? What are microaggressions? What do they look like? What do they sound like? What are the tools to maneuver around microaggression? Um, awareness around listening and appreciating differences. So some, you know, cultural intelligence may come into play. Emotional intelligence is in play, right? It's all around awareness. Why are we doing this? And then from there, then we start that strategic approach of putting together a diversity, equity, and inclusion council that's going to look at metrics for each item separately. Um, You may be putting together employee resource groups based on affinities. It's a great way to drive inclusion in the organization because you're establishing groups of individuals with allies that can have difficult conversations in a safe environment, right? Leadership, and it has to, Rudy, it has to come from the top down.
2: Another light bulb kind of came off. So it, it, that doesn't necessarily, just because you have somebody that is diverse or looks outward diverse in leadership, really doesn't mean anything unless, the, unless there's the cultural transformation in an organization there. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got so yeah. Okay.
0: like Good. I look at my own and and I will say that a lot of this comes from my own experience and in inclusion. I'm a veteran. I was in the army for 10 years. Um, it, they have what I like to call forced inclusion, where you have to be able to know the person sitting next to you is going to have your back. I have to understand what their strengths and areas of development or weaknesses are so that together we can perform. Because if we can't perform, it's life and death when you're on the field. Mm-hmm. It really is life and death.
2: Is the difference with the military, and by the way, thank you for your service. That's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. just want to say that. Uh, I know some people get annoyed by that, but I don't no, like saying it. I want to ask a question about that, about the military. So I was never in the military. I do have relatives that were in the military, but Mm -hmm. my basic understanding is when you join the military, I'm going to put aside the academies. I'm not going to put West Point. I'm not going to put Naval Academy. I'm going to put that stuff, but just the military in and of itself. When you join the military, you, you come there with your experience. You come there with your family background. You come there with everything, but in my brain, correct me if I'm wrong, you start off at zero. Like everyone is zero and you get built up from there. Or is that is that a misconception?
0: Nope, that's exactly it. We start off at zero. right? we go to basic training, everybody has to be able to do one perfect push-up. And then we build from there. And collectively as a unit, as a group of individuals, we are encouraged or we're penalized to help everybody around us excel as well. So if you have someone in your unit that can't do the required push-ups, it's not uncommon in basic training to see seven, eight cadets out there, right, working on push-ups. Or as I like to say, the drill sergeant, because I could just barely do one push-up. Every time I turned around, I was being dropped, right? Like I would walk out to formation and be like, oh, Lynch, drop, give me 20. I'm like, (laughs) I can barely give you one. but we're building up that core strength more to the point throughout all of the training we really do come to rely on you don't have a choice the people that are around you so as a trauma medic i may not have right the upper body i don't have the upper body strength of a male trauma medic or even right i was with the 110 cavalry for a while i was the only female medic and i would look to if i had to carry a stretcher i would grab four infantry guys and be like, can you carry the stretcher for me? But we have to rely on each other. My strength is the medical training. Their strength might be physical and then, you know, intellectual in another capacity. You don't have a choice. That's what I mean by that forced inclusion or inclusion, that these gentlemen are more than willing to carry the litter because this is their buddy and I'm going to save their buddy's life. We are coming together with one solid goal. Each of us having different strengths and we're playing to those strengths. In the corporate world, it's the same thing. It is the same thing, backing each other up and playing to each other's strengths. I'm strong in DE&I, I'm strong in leadership, but I might not be strong in management. So I have to be able to rely on my teammate who may be really strong in management development and I provide the DE&I lens to that so that we create a program that's amazing.
1: A quick break to tell you about our friends at newsly.me. You got to download it and use the promo code THE DETAILS, and that'll be linked in the show notes. It's the all in one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up on the top trending articles on the web and topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time, all in one place. You can listen to any of your favorite topics. Business, sports, entertainment, and you can listen to Good Is in the Details Pod. So check out our show notes for newsly.me offer code the details. Something that caught my attention was, and this is probably because I'm a professor, so I have my students, I'm with Gen Z all the time. And then just because of this holiday season, I'm around my mother and my and her husband, and they're boomers. And so I go from being around Gen Z to then being around boomers, and there's this radically different approach and understanding of the world. And there's a lot of strength and a lot of beauty in the way in which they see things. And I noticed in your book that when we're talking about the range of people in the workforce, that it's not just ethnicity, it's not just gender, it's not just BIPOC, it's not just neurodivergent, but the generational thing really hit me. What are some ways that people can be aware and learn from each other when they're of different generations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like what are some of the strengths of Gen Z and what are some of the strengths of, well, I guess boomers are not in the workforce as much, but ways for us to be able to appreciate the strengths instead of looking at each other annoyed. Because I see a lot of jokes about Gen Z and a lot of jokes about boomers, but there is this beauty about the Mm -hmm. differences between them. So I'm wondering what do you think about intergenerational communication?
0: Oh, sure. And I love I love that. First and foremost, we need to stop labeling each generation. We need to stop being negative about those generations. Um, I speak on generations quite a bit. And when I bring up Gen Z's, I get the eye rolls in the audience because (laughs) typically my audience are Gen Xers or boomers, a sprinkling of traditionalists. And I always say, why are you rolling your eyes? You raised them. They came from
1: somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right? Think about that. You raised came them from somewhere. This is your doing. It's,
2: it's true. And since I don't believe in aliens, yeah, they definitely right? they <laughs> the yeah, definitely. You're right. They, they came from somewhere.
0: They so came from right. somewhere. So you're rolling your eyes, then you're rolling your eyes at your own parenting and social skills. <laughs> um, and and we need to reframe it a little bit because and I'm going to pick on my Gen Zers or I'm going to reference my Gen Zers because I've heard in the workplace they're entitled. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, they don't want to work more than 40 hours a week. You know what? Neither do I. <laughs> they're just empowered to say it.
1: <laughs>
0: right? I was not that empowered. I wasn't at that life cycle. I wasn't empowered enough to say, Nope, it's five o'clock, I'm done. We need to recognize, and I I tell corporations, organizations, recognize the strengths. Gen Z's are amazing, amazing with technology. Mm -hmm. Traditionalists struggle there. Even Gen Xers struggle there. So don't get upset okay. that your
1: Gen yeah, Zers really trying of that. to log in. We, got, right. we, got, we, right we have, literally
2: have evidence of Gen Xers uh, right. struggling. Yeah, right? Like, one day it's me, one day it's her. It's it's a bit. You are correct. Yeah. So we need to get some Gen Zers to help us out. Right.
1: It only took us twenty minutes to log in to okay. do this, but we we're here. <laughs> we made it. I and mean, if you had a Gen Zer, that would have been
0: like, "You need to do this, this, this." Oh, it's a filter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I look at like Gen, Gen Alpha. Now, those are my kids that are coming up. They are so much more inclusive. They are problem solvers. They know technology. And so my, my son, uh, who's a sophomore in college, phenomenal coder. He just looks at code and goes, that's the problem right there. I don't even know what he's looking at. And he's the norm. He's not like, the, it's not that he's wonder kid. He's the norm. This is what they're learning. We need to appreciate that. So we again, it's an inclusion issue. When I hear that there is a division between any of the generations, it's inclusion. You're not seeing the value. So for my Gen Zs, um, I'm an adjunct professor, and I always tell my Gen Zs, look for a coach or a mentor, someone that is a Gen X or a, a baby boomer, and ask them how they got where they are. Ask them how they problem solve. Listen to them. You don't have to solve anything for them, but understand where they're coming from. Listen to their communication. If you text me years ago, now I'm up on text, but when, when texting became such the thing, if you texted me, I, it would take me days to reply back to you because I'm of the mindset, if you really want to talk to me, you'll pick up the phone and call me. Today, it's different. Today, I recognize the value of texting, but that came from learning from my kids and Gen Z in the workplace. I don't need a full conversation. I need information quickly in the now. Oh, well, yeah, because baby boomers will spend 45 minutes telling you a story and you still have no idea what the outcome is they're looking for. <laughs> so, so often when I interface with boomers and even traditionalists, I'm like, you know what, could you just text me what outcome you're looking for? And it changes the entire dynamic of the conversation without right without hurting anyone's feelings it's like you don't just text that to me or i am it over to me or put it in teams because nobody wants to be writing paragraphs in teams so right let's shorten it down because i need bite-side pieces and we find with gen z they can make a phenomenal meal with bite-sized pieces because that's what they've been trained to right that's what they've been trained to do we also know that your gen z's love coaching they grew up being coached Gen Alpha, same thing. Trust me, I've coached multiple teams for many, many years of sports, so they're used to the coach coming out and saying, not that you did a good job or a bad job, but how would you have approached that differently? How would you have scored differently? What if you know, uh, you know, number seventeen was in this position? What would you have done then? Right, and that builds up that problem solving and critical thinking. So that's the downside to Generation Z. Information doesn't have to be researched. It's at their fingertips. Right. So and that deficit, Gwen, you know, is is that critical thinking. They've lost some of that critical thinking skills.
1: Yeah, we have we have this conversation about what's the difference between knowledge and information with the students. So I, I give them the example of let's imagine that there are two students in high school that um, they're going to be tested on. What's a, a popular book? Let me say, let's say 1984, let's say a typical book that's mm-hmm. taught. And I say, one student just looks at Wikipedia. The other student actually reads the book. They both get an A on their English exam. Do they both know the book? And so that mm-hmm. gets them talking about the distinction between information and knowledge. And that's one of the things that we can get from, I think, The, you know, an older generation taking their time. And one other assignment that I gave my students one time, this was for a philosophy of sex and love class. And I asked them to interview, I can be a grandparent um, Mm -hmm. or somebody who is about 55 or older and ask them if they are married and they've been with their significant other for a long time, ask them how they met. And then they shared it in class and it was a way of life that they could not imagine. It was imagine. my grandfather went by my mom's shop or my my, um, my great aunt just insisted on getting these two people together from church. It was people actually interacting and having the nerve to go up and say, I want to be with you and then commit to that. And their concept of love and relationships is with technology. you know like if that you don't go up to somebody and introduce yourself or say hi that's not done. You spot them at a party and then look them up on Instagram to see their profile before you dare. And then you like their pictures. And that is hello. (laughs) That is hello for Gen Z versus, let's say, the boomer generation. And so it was just a really nice because that assignment, I think, gave them an opportunity to have this appreciation for the method of communication and the sweetness of it with something as simple as a romantic relationship.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, there's the right clear difference. So how do we build on right when we're talking about inclusion in the workplace? How do we then bring on both strengths? Yeah like that technology and the communication. Let's have that discussion.
1: And that's why I like where you're saying the inclusion, because this is a matter of appreciating that. So if we do diversity, we say, okay, here, we've got a boomer, we've got Gen Z, we're good to go. When, as you're saying, like, that's not, that's just checking a box. That doesn't actually Mm
0: -hmm. give
1: any skills in so far as communication. I loved it. I wanted to ask one other question. It was, I think that there is this concern and this confusion Um, And I want to be careful how I frame it because I don't want to be insulting, but it's just it's there that there is this question if an effort for diversity and inclusion and equity is at the sacrifice of merit. And you bring this up in your book of why it is not. Could you expand on that?
0: Yeah, it it, well, it shouldn't be. You should be hiring the, the, the highest talent, right? The best of the best. I mean, think about it. When there's, a, there's a right now with the National Hockey League, the NHL, there's all this talk about how they're not that diverse. Well, you know, when you're fielding your team, you want the best skaters, you want the top scorer. You don't care about the diversity affinities in that. Now, if you have an inclusive organization, you're going to attract the diverse top talent. So, you don't have to sacri- you shouldn't sacrifice. That's crazy. We are in a capitalistic country. I am going to hire the best of the best. And if I have an inclusive organizational culture, it gets out there. People know who's inclusive and who's not inclusive, and I'm going to keep them. So, I'm going to keep that top talent and their diversity because I'm inclusive. If I'm not inclusive, what happens? Well, if I'm not inclusive, then I might hire the top talent with some diversity affinities and again that's not just gender and ethnicity that's veteran status disability right learning disabilities reading glasses different hair color different it's it's that life perspective there's so much there that if the inclusion's not there then that employee is going to stay for a year they're going to learn as much as they can about how you do business and then they're going to leave and take it to an organization that is inclusive So now you've created this and this is what we're seeing, right? This is this is talent war. When I hear organizations say I need to work on retention, I'm like, no, you don't. You need to work on your your culture because employees leave poor cultures and poor leadership. It's not money, the two top poor culture, poor leadership. So if you're seeing that you have a revolving door that, you're, you know, your retention rates are low, then you probably don't have the culture you think you have, especially around inclusion, because when inclusion is missing, your employees feel like they don't value. They don't matter. Their perspective is not heard. Why would you stick around for that? Now, right, you just to tie it back into generations, you know, boomers worked to work and live, right? They, they work to work. So they would stick around. They're going to push through it. But Gen Xers, largest entrepreneurial group out there they're leaving corporations left and right and your your gen z's they want to feel valued because they were raised to feel valued and if you put them in a workplace that doesn't hear them they're going to leave i think of my own kids my own kids are very strong and they know their strengths they know their areas of development they are valued right they're looking at universities that will value them as an individual first and foremost, than their academics. And if there is not that culture, they're gonna leave. Mm-hmm. They don't feel that they're bringing something to the table because of their awesomeness, they're going to leave. And that's the same thing in the workplace. So we end up creating, when we focus on just diversity, we end up creating the revolving door. And you know, Sherms put out their Society of Human Resource Management notes that it is one and a half to two times an individual salary to replace them. That's, that's what I was going to ask money.
1: the cost because you mentioned the cost. And Rudy, when Rudy has talked about transportation on this show, and he has said, hey. "You right when you you said people really care when something hits their wallet." Yes. And that's so that's I really was it. thinking yeah. about this. That let's just say if there are somebody who's like, you know what, I don't want to deal with all this inclusive and diversity stuff. And then let's just say you point out the numbers that mm-hmm. it will actually cost you. I want to say the cost of turnover. You said something that was in the billions. Oh, it's in the billions. Yeah. And I mean, I think just the logic, like I just know as as a woman, so I'll just speak as a woman, that, you know, a place where they are friendly to, let's say, to women who have children, mm-hmm. that is where, let's say, the top graduates and the smartest of the smart, they will go there. So if a company is thinking, wait a minute, why do I have to take care of maternity or family leave or child care or anything like that? That's too expensive. No, because if you want the top graduates at your company, they are going to go where that is offered because they can go somewhere else. So I think it's really interesting that actually it is in the business's interest to be ethical and to be inclusive because the cost is the best people will go where they find that. Exactly, and it, it's a it's a job hunter's market right now. Mm-hmm. It is a job hunter's market.
0: Uh, you know, the sky's the limit, it, uh, especially post COVID. Remote work is at an all time high, and we're seeing organizations not taking taking a step back from the remote work. They're saying, "Yes, we can." This worked for the last two years. You can come in as a VP, and the home office is in California, and you work in Boston, and it's remote. Maybe you have to fly in twice a year. Not a biggie. Um, so. The job's out there and they're top paying jobs, they're paying. I was speaking with a millennial actually fairly recently about what was, we were looking at benefits and what they wanted to see. And for millennials and your, you know, your gen alphas coming up, they want pet health care discounts and they want tuition reimbursement or tuition being paid for, you know, student loan payback. I can look at an organization and just from their benefits, tell you how inclusive they are and tell you who who their uh, employees are that are working there. Are they traditionalists, boomers, Gen Xers? Mm -hmm. Because are they offering the benefit, right? That's part of inclusion. That's understanding your workforce. You know, as much as it pains me, you know, millennials outnumber traditionalists and Gen Xers. Your traditionalists and baby boomers are leaving the workforce. They're retiring. Your Gen Xers are becoming entrepreneurs. They're leaving leadership
1: positions. And the only people left to fill are your, your millennials. Are they like the middle child in this conversation? Because we've left out millennials. We've just talked about Gen Xers. Rudy and I are Gen Xers, and we talked about boomers mm-hmm. and Gen Z, the poor millennials. What's the defining trait of a millennial? As, as, aside from, from what you've brought up, so the, the benefits and they're in the workforce, is there another defining trait about them? Or you said maybe we should stay away from that?
0: No, no, I think, right, they're another, well, they are one of the largest, right, they are our targeted employee group right now Mm -hmm. because they are they are the largest they are the largest and yes your boomers and your gen xers raise them as well they are empowered uh, but they're at a point in their careers now where they need mentorship not coaching they need to learn how to how to you know shorten that circle for advancement instead of these are the skills you need to work on they know that right that's where they are in their own development and they are tech savvy much more so than the Gen Xers. When we think about your millennials, your Gen Zs, um, and, and your, you know, millennial and younger, they all wanna work for organizations that are part of something bigger, that have a much larger purpose and have an impact on the overall world, right, on global society. You know, it was the Dalai Lama that came out and said, you know, millennials and Gen Zs are gonna save the world, okay because they want to have that purpose. I mean, I even think of, you know, thinking about with my kids growing up, I was not a big fan of recycling. I, heck, I didn't start recycling until my son came home from kindergarten and was like, you're killing the earth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have three bins that collect dirty garbage that sits in the kitchen that we take to the dump for recycling. But by the way, I
2: don't mean to break your heart or your son's, I'm not 100% sure that the division is actually working very well in recycling. Uh, but I know. That's a whole other, it's a whole other, we can do a whole series of A
1: whole other show on, on that. that. I mean, the yes. problems
2: of recycling, but uh, but uh, good for you for making that change, and good for your son for, for saying something.
0: Oh, well, as soon as I'm an empty nester, those are going away. <laughs> <laughs> garbage is garbage, but no, but seriously, they, they yeah, they want to feel like they're part of something bigger. Than what's been handed to them it right their job is more than just a job they want to have impact and influence and why shouldn't they
2: so the way i'm i'm hearing everything kind of i'm summarizing everything in my for somebody out there i mean and i think gwen did a terrific job because she used my wisdom in order to put
1: this oh yeah together.
2: um if for somebody out there that uh that's like look i i don't care about this dei stuff this is this is negatively impacting me. I'm I'm losing some business because I'm a, I don't fit any of these boxes or a, I'm not doing this or that. The shift needs to be, no, your wallet and your pay. and And maybe you're thinking very short-term about your current business, but you're not thinking long-term mm-hmm. about where our business can go and the growth there. You're kind of looking towards the past rather than looking towards the future. You need to change your mentality And realize the importance of uh, an inclusive organization, which, you know, has an array of diversity. And Mm -hmm. and We didn't touch upon equity too much. But in in any event, because we're in a capitalist system, we need to speak about the importance here in capitalistic terms, both to traditionalists and people who may not think they're traditionalists, but only are thinking of themselves and, and the direct impact on them in the short term. Is that usually how you you try to get people over the hump? Yeah, and, and you
0: know, I don't want I to? find it, with that, with that, I find that it's more transactional business versus transformational business. So yes, there are companies out there that are stuck in transactional business mindset. I give you this, you give me that, we move on. I don't need DE&I, who cares? Who cares? I'm hiring employees, some of them stay, some of them leave, blah, blah. You know what? Your business is viable today, but it will not be viable in five more years because we have this thing called globalization. That happened, right? That happened. That changed how we do business. Business today is transformational. It's not transactional. It's transformational. All you have to do is watch the commercials on television. It's all about relationship building and connecting and being inclusive. So if if your business is still transactional and that's your choice and when I go into organizations and they're like we, we don't want to play in the diversity pool I tell them fine because you're not going to be able to afford me anyways you're going to be out of business in five years it's this is not an option it's either you move your business in this or you become like Kodiak obsolete
1: it's just not an option you yeah. know what I'm, I'm also yeah thinking about just as far as Gen Z goes in younger generations you're going to have um, just because of transportation, university, that it used to be that people paired up in terms of romantic relationships or friendships based on their neighborhood, their mm-hmm. ethnicity, their religion, their first language that that was the draw in the pact with friendships and any kind of a relationship really. But now the draw is do you oh you're you're majoring in psychology, so am I. We're doing a group project together. the draw is interest. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, religion or skin tone or mm-hmm. first language it's a draw and in interest and so you have more and more people who are of mixed backgrounds and it's just going to be intolerable for these children or for these people engaged in these relationships to be in an environment that is not inclusive it's yeah. just going to be i mean that is the direction it's going i see that i mean i know i'm in southern california so that is a unique geographical position but i've asked my students you know if we were to put a, if we were to put a map down and put a pin in where our grandparents are from we could easily cover the globe there's no question we could mm-hmm. easily cover the globe and as opposed to if i were to ask let's say boomer generation where your parents from where your grandparents from it wouldn't be nearly that spread out and so i think that what you're saying is like this is not a choice and it's going to be intolerable for the generation that's being raised right now and definitely their children
0: absolutely i think even from a, um, a societal lens i remember as a kid now i'm from the boston area but boston had little italy where if you were Italian and you lived in Boston and you spoke Italian, that's where you lived. And you went to the Catholic church that was there and everybody knew everybody. We had, you know, then we had Northie, which was for um, our Irish immigrants and everybody there was Irish. Mm -hmm. That's not the case today. That is not the case today. Little Italy now, as I call it, or the Italian side of Boston, has a handful of Italian restaurants that are amazing. But the housing, it's everybody, you know, Back Bay of Boston is everybody. It's no longer just one group of individuals. We don't see, you know, Cambodians and Vietnamese living in a single, you know, a single block. They're everywhere. We've spread. Mm -hmm. Now that happens with globalization.
2: And you, you actually you brought up, it it's not only just globalization as well, you also kind of brought up kind of an interesting point as well, something that I'm very focused on both in my work and, and just in my in studies and, and everything else. Housing in and of itself and where affordable housing is, mm-hmm. the people of the younger generation um, will go where the homes are affordable. And the people of the younger generation are, you know, tend to be more mixed or tend to be of a, a more diverse and they're going to move into areas and, you know, kind of make the area that may have been homogenous at one point in time not so homogenous anymore. So, housing affordability is a huge factor as mm. well. And it's just that will also lead to uh, d- diversity or, or inclusion or anything. I mean, people that are leaving California of all different types and, and diverse backgrounds are moving into other states that are more affordable
0: affordable
2: yeah that's right it's just kind of like the future is here it's already here it's already now and the impact of the movement of people to more affordable places maybe we're not seeing it immediately but we're going to be seeing that in a half a generation or two so it's i I get it like i i I see that i see i mean i was already a believer in all this stuff just because i am i am i'm personally diverse um whether or not i i have to check the caucasian box i'm i'm an arab american and and i'm Mm -hmm. the son of immigrants and i had my own unique view and and upbringing so i always classified myself as diverse so i'm a big believer in in inclusivity but i'm trying to always think about the future like as gwen was talking a lot about california okay we're here in in california what does that mean for the rest of the country well that's where affordability might play a factor that's where these economic indicators will eventually lead to some diversity, I think, or I I don't know. I wonder what your thoughts are on that.
0: And and I think the United States, I look at the United States and I look at our political system as business, right? Rather than political parties, I say, you know, Mm -hmm. who is the CEO of the United States and how are they running this business called the United States? And right, that trickles right down to states. And here's the problem. We haven't, as a country, invested in infrastructure that supports diversity and inclusion. So, yes, you're going to have, right? I I live in New Hampshire and I hear it all the time. We want more diversity in New Hampshire. And I'm like, the housing market doesn't allow you to have that.
2: There you go. Ex- you you it said- can't
0: afford to move here
2: you said my favorite word, the word that i constantly talk about because i work in infrastructure i'm an, I'm an infrastructure <laughs> finance attorney and i'm constantly banging the drum as to we lack the infrastructure we lack the financing for infrastructure we lack the the thinking about the importance of infrastructure for a million things but yeah yeah i mean i could I could only imagine what the the issues are in new hampshire and there's also you know where younger younger young, the younger generation as well don't necessarily I'm I'm hoping, don't necessarily want to only travel via a car. They want to have Mm -hmm. a whole host of transportation options. But yet that infrastructure is going to limit them to where they're going to move and everything. So yes, everything does come down to it.
0: Yes. And and we, let's be honest, the United States, our infrastructure really is built in the 1950s and we've done nothing to improve it.
2: Very little. Very, very little. Yes. I mean, you know, a couple of cities, oh, we built a train system. Yeah, okay, but where does that train system really go? And have you, and have you really made that, inclusive for everybody? Or is it only one segment of the population that's going to be using that train system? What about, you know, promoting that to all different types of people of socioeconomic backgrounds? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a big believer in the impact of infrastructure on diversity in this country.
0: And I mean, that could be a whole nother show because there are so many points that we're missing.
2: If you need somebody to talk infrastructure or infrastructure finance, that's, I'm your god for sure.
1: <laughs> sexy infrastructure. We did an episode on infrastructure and we called it the sexy infrastructure because Rudy's like we need to tell people infrastructure is sexy so they'll pay attention.
2: It is. That's, that's true. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you know what uh, doctor it's uh, it's very capitalistic because I'm in that space and so I'm just thinking about my own employment. That's okay there's nothing
0: wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, our infrastructure and you know, it's the same thing with the organizations, their infrastructure has to have an inclusive culture. That's part of their infrastructure and if they don't have it, they lose. I mean, there's no other way to say it. you lose. Mm-hmm. You don't have that, you're going to lose. You're going to lose the best talent that you have. It's going to cost you a boatload of money to make that up and I'm going to sit back and say, I told you so. <laughs> Boom, <laughs> drop <dropping> the mic. <laughs>
2: No, that was a perfect drop the mic moment. Actually, drop yeah. the that, mic. Was, that was that was the way. <laughs> I, I, I nothing more needs to be said. We <laughs> talked the infrastructure. Mind. We talked. We talked about the the effect on the wallet. Well, what else needs to be yep. said? <laughs> yes. oh,
1: thank you so much. I thank you for this work. I really enjoyed your book. I enjoyed. I think it's such important work that we're paying attention to this. And I also love that, I mean, our our show is really about what does it mean to live life well? And so I hope anyone who's interested in starting a business or working in their business or seeking employment, what they want to look for so that they can really have work as something that is meaningful and is part of what it means to live life well and be part of a, a growing, thriving community. Absolutely. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you, you too. Thank you for your patience.
1: Oh both, not, a problem,
2: both, not both, a both, of, both of you. If you guys weren't on video, you would have been seeing me slamming things down. I have for no reason. <laughs> so
1: nice. Yeah. Nice. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Good Is In The Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dalski and Rudy Salo. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you're enjoying the show, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. Or take a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag us on Instagram, Good Is In The Details Pod. If you want to get in touch, good is in the details pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, comments, questions, or if you're interested in sponsoring a show. Remember to check out the show notes for newsly.me using the offer code, the details. If you'd like to get extra content and join our book club check us out on patreon patreon.com slash good is in the details okay until next time bye